Hello and welcome back to the Gen Z podcast. Today we're talking with Brad Ferrers, who is a rancher slash poet slash artist slash cowboy. In this episode, Brad talks to me about his lifestyle while he ultimately decided to continue the ranching tradition that had been passed down in his family for many generations, although he chose to be an attorney at one point and kind of quit the city after a while. He also tells me about how his ranching lifestyle has enabled him to develop as an artist in ways that he kind of breaks some of the traditions that are set within, you know, cowboy art and poetry. By the way, that is not the PC or even accurate terminology. So Brad has basically dedicated his entire artistic life to preserving this ranching culture which he so treasures and values, and in this episode he tries to give us at least a little bit of a taste of why that's worth preserving and some things that we can do and that states can do to sort of help. Brad has also written a book called Celtic Cowhunter which uses poems, short stories, and tales passed down through generations in an attempt to sort of encapsulate the cowboy or ranching tradition as it's appeared over time and in different locations. So thanks again for listening. My name is Stephanie Minova, and you are listening to the Gen Z Podcast. I've always been someone who's inclined to uh, work with creative endeavors, whatever that could be. Probably started with the artwork before I did the writing, and... You know, as a young kid in school, I always was doodling, drawing in the middle of class and and fortunate to be able to soak up the lessons while I was doing so. So that made it pretty nice for me and continued on, did a few informal classes at a local hobby shop when I was around 10 or 12 and uh, advanced from there to where I worked independently with an artist, kind of an informal apprenticeship. Uh, He didn't charge for lessons, but I just would sit whenever I was home from college and work with him, ask questions, learned about his palette, maintain perspective in the painting, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And and then developed from there with uh, what I wanted to work on, which with him, we were doing Florida landscapes and I eventually branched into doing the ranch type scenes that I'm most familiar with, uh, because that's what my family's always been involved in as a cattle business. And how did that, how did painting eventually turn over to writing? Yeah. So the two are somewhat similar. I like to say when I'm, I'm painting, you know, you're putting paint on canvas and when I'm writing, it's trying to capture that picture, but with words. Right. And, uh, while I would be working at the ranch during the summertime, it's great to be outside and, and do the work, but you also a lot of times are alone. So you come up with ways to pass the time. Right. And uh, I got started reading some cowboy poetry, Baxter Black in particular, Waddy Mitchell. Uh, those are a couple of the bigger, more well-known names in that, in that genre. Mm-hmm. And the more I read it, the more I realized, you know, I could probably do that if I put a little effort to it. So I just, uh, to pass the time for myself, you know, would sit there while I was working, come up with some different lines and, and progress with it as I went along. It's, it wasn't anything that really stuck, uh, hard and fast. And I don't do a lot of reciting. I probably do more reading than anything because once I write something, you know, trying to juggle between painting and, uh, doing the poetry, I'm always bouncing from one to the other. So it's, it's almost like I get a, a burst of an idea. I get it together, you know, maybe make a revision or two 
and uh, and then I'm done with it. I move on to the next thing. And so I don't spend a lot of time memorizing to recite later. <laughs> Good. That would be a waste of time. <laughs> so um, this is this is not a very relevant question, but do you, do you write your poems on a computer or you said you were kind of thinking about them while you worked? So how, how does the writing process go for you? Do you write them down on paper or what is it like? That's a good question. And uh, it's actually, a, I guess the easiest way to say it is I don't have a necessarily hard and fast method. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there are times where I definitely sit down and work at the computer and, and store what I'm writing mm-hmm. in a digital format, whether it be the computer or the notes section of my phone. Mm-hmm. There's other times where I still do the old fashioned legal pad and piece of piece of paper and a pen. And then sometimes it, it's much more organic and much more inspired where the idea really just hits you hard and it flows kind of fast and it kind of cements itself in your mind. And then later it's trying to catch up and regurgitate it on paper where you do make sure you get it like you wanted it and don't lose it. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, I I was asking because it seems like, I haven't read cowboy poetry, but it seems like of all the kinds of poetry, that would be probably one of the more organic kinds. I don't know if you could really get it out if you were just uh, sitting in an office and and trying to make it up. (laughs) It's definitely a little bit harder to do it that way uh, versus Uh when you're in the moment and something, you know, strikes that little bit of inspiration and it just takes off from there. You know, you can, uh-huh. you can do it sitting inside, but it definitely takes a little more provocation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So as far as the, the content of your poems, what would you say that they're about? Most of them focus on the lifestyle and in particular, they tend to be a little more focused on family relationships and, uh-huh. and also the personal relationship between people and the land itself and, and the inspiration they take from it. Uh, once in a while I do get a little more contemporary and a little more on the edge with the topics compared to most cowboy poets that you would see. I might delve off into the, the sadder, darker aspects of life where, Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like every segment of society. You always have those that get caught up in addiction, whether it be alcohol or drugs. Right. So, right. I, I don't tiptoe around those things. You know, if if mm-hmm. I get a good idea about something, you know, from somebody I've crossed paths with, or somebody that I've worked with, that sort of thing, then I go ahead and tackle it with the poetry. Right. Right. And do you feel like in general that people are happier living a branching lifestyle than a corporate lifestyle just based off of what you've seen? Well, I know that's definitely the case for me. Um, and, and I think, you know, in in society today, and I don't have anything hard and fast to prove this right. other, other than my gut instinct, but I, I think there's a, a definite disconnect today between people and the land and and the fact that, you know, as we've moved from an agrarian society to more of a a service oriented society, uh, people have lost touch with their roots. They've, they've lost touch with that connection to 
to the land. And I recently saw something on uh, CBS Sunday morning, and I think it was even a, a rerun at that, or maybe they had remashed the thing. But uh, there was a segment on creativity, and they were talking about the. Uh, there was one guy there who had left the corporate world to go back to being a mechanic in a shop even. And his point was, you know, when you're using your hands and you're making things and and building things, uh, you have a much happier outlook on life. And, you know, that's not feasible for everybody to do. But I think if people spent a little more time getting back away from the, from the concrete jungle and, and back, out on some grass and dirt, they'd find their mental health is much better. Yeah, definitely. I think everybody, no matter what your personality type is, can definitely afford to spend more time out in nature. Like I lived in, I lived in Boston for four years because I was going to school there, but, and my family lives in Utah. So, you know, every time I come back, I realize how much of a luxury it is that we have these mountains and trails, etc., places we can go outside. Yeah. If there's anything you think people should know about your lifestyle or anything that you try to communicate through your poetry, do you have a specific message or is it more so just sort of introspective and descriptive? Probably more introspective and descriptive because what I'm really hoping to accomplish as much as anything is just documenting the history of our particular uh, cattle culture here in Florida, because most people don't realize mm-hmm. it exists. You know, anytime I'm out and about in a, you know, wearing my cowboy hat, inevitably somebody says, Oh, you're from Texas. No, actually, actually, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm from Florida and we had cattle before anybody else in North America had cattle. So it's, it's an educational process and I'm trying to make sure that I capture that educational aspect as well as document for the future what is still here and and what a vibrant culture it is. Right. And why is it, why would you call it a a cattle society? (laughs) Because when I think of a farmer ranch, I think of like the full range of animals. Yeah. (laughs) And and it's not that we don't have other animals, but primarily – uh, here in Florida, it's definitely geared towards cattle ranching. Uh-huh. The first cattle came to Florida with Ponce de Leon in 1520, mm-hmm. 1521. Right. And, you know, some of those cattle stayed. Uh, other Spanish explorers brought more. And the uh, Seminole Indians kind of took over some of those cattle and continued raising those herds mm-hmm. and of course, as Florida was settled by the French and then ultimately the colonials who moved down here from uh, Georgia and the Carolinas, you know, they mm-hmm. continued that herding tradition. So basically, we've had a cattle herding right. tradition here in Florida for close to 500 years now. Yeah, that's, uh, that's quite a long time, longer than the U.S. itself has been around. So uh, you're focused on preserving the tradition of cattle ranching and cattle ranching in Florida in particular. And uh, how do you see the future of that playing out? Do you think that there's any sort of risk of the, the culture being changed or overturned, or is it pretty much secure in the way you see it? I think it's pretty secure for the foreseeable future. I think it, it's going <laughs> right. to be a harder fight in the long run because of the fact that Florida has 
a thousand people a day moving into the state. So we're constantly facing the pressure of cattle ranches in Florida right now are one of the few things that are preserving green space here. We're, we're, more or less providing a benefit to the entire state. Yeah. And we're proud of the fact that we do focus on stewardship and conservation. It's something we've always done. And now we're trying to take advantage of some newer ideas and thoughts on how to do that. Part of which are mm-hmm. doing these conservation easements where the state will buy the development rights for the property so that that land will be protected uh, from development in perpetuity and we're able to continue raising cattle, but get some sort of economic benefit from it at the same time. Because typically uh, people in agriculture are asset rich and cash poor. So it's a nice way to, to help everybody be able to survive and continue growing their family but at the same time, preserve something for those future generations without risk of development. As far as a community, because when I was driving in Idaho, (laughs) that was probably the only one of the few times I've seen um, ranching land. And like you said, you know, it's very asset rich and that these properties are very big. What is the communal aspect like in these ranching areas? Do people know each other? Are you spaced very far apart? Um, How does that all sort of play out? It's a little bit of everything here in Florida. You've got some ranches Uh that are actually in close proximity to a town and definitely it's it's much closer to anything. uh, You know, the ranches are much closer to anything here than they would be out west. I know exactly what you're talking about. Out there, you you may have a, a 10 to 20 mile drive from the front gate back to the ranch house and, and then another right. hour drive into town. There's nothing quite that drastic here, but you know, a lot of them are in more isolated areas where maybe it does take 30 minutes to an hour to get to a decent town. Then others, you know, you might only be 10 minutes from town, but still with a couple of thousand acres that you're running cattle on. So it's, it's a pretty good mix down here. Whereas out there, it's definitely different. You've definitely got a long way to go from, from the ranch house to town. You probably have even better connections with your friends and neighbors here than you do in some of those more remote areas Uh out West. Yeah. And as far as, you know, living in a sort of somewhat quieter, more isolated way. Do you think that people enjoy that? Is that a good lifestyle to have, to be sort of far out from everybody, or is are there downsides? Well, I know, for, speaking for my family, I know that for us, it's pretty nice to be in the middle of the family ranch there. Uh, you know, our, our ranch, it's mm-hmm. my mom and my two brothers and myself, and then, of course, our, our kids. Uh-huh. We don't all live on the ranch, but... Uh, you know, we're all in and out of there on a regular basis. Uh, we've lived there at the ranch and it's nice, particularly here in Florida, because geographically speaking, it has its advantages in the fact that we're somewhat in the center of the state, right near Lake Okeechobee. From our ranch to either coast, it only takes us about an hour and a half. So Uh we can be out in the middle of the ranch away from all of the chaos. And then if we decide we want to go, you know, for example, in Palm Beach, they have the Kravis Center, which is a nice performing arts theater. We can go there and at at Christmas, uh, take the kids and go see the Nutcracker if we want to and get in the middle of 
yeah. all that modern day society has to offer and then turn right back around within an hour to an hour and a half, be back in <laughs> peace and quiet and, and nobody around to bother us. And as far as your the style of your artwork, do you think that the landscape you've been in has affected your style? As far as the artwork goes, I, like I said earlier, I think uh, focus a little more on photorealism. And I won't uh-huh. say I take it to extremes, but I definitely include uh, a lot of detail in my work, particularly when it gets into the ranch scenes and, and the horses and the people and, and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. so uh, definitely a much more detailed approach than say the original style of painting I started with and moved away from. If you had to pigeonhole it to, uh, something in particular on the landscapes, they would say I came out of what's known as the Indian river school, which here in Florida, mm-hmm. Beanie Bacchus, uh, was considered, the preeminent landscape artist and he's in the Florida artist hall of fame. He had a, uh, a style of painting and he again taught other people to paint, didn't charge for lessons and that sort of thing. And he spawned another group of artists they call the highwaymen this group of African American artists who learned his style and his palette, but their painting style went more back, towards Bob Ross where it was a more of a wet on wet type painting with oil where they could kind of knock out a painting in half a day or so. Um, with mine, it takes a lot longer because I'm working in different stages of the oil drying and having to wait on it before I can do the next part. Beanie Bacchus was the, was the forefather of both of those different groups of artists, but they all kind of spin it back to what they call the Indian river school, because that's where he was located. And, uh, people tell me all the time when they look at my sky, that that's where, that's where they most see the connection I have with Beanie is, uh, I definitely picked up his flair for painting the Florida sky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Isn't it's nice, yeah, nice, big, big clouds and okay. very realistic, like almost, three-dimensional when you look at them on canvas, which, you know, if you're doing it right, that's what you're going for. So, uh, it's definitely still, a a, uh, a work in progress. I mean, I'm always looking for the next improvement. And, uh, so it's Mm -hmm. one of those things you never stop learning. You never stop looking for a better way to accomplish what you're after. Oh, yeah. Very cool. And do you have any sort of specific reason that you switch styles that you started studying under the Indian school or was it more so aesthetic? Yeah, just aesthetics more than anything. I tend to, although I have that vision where I look a little further down the road and look at the bigger picture of things, I still have an eye for detail uh-huh. and that original type of painting, uh-huh. it was, uh, you know, it was nice, but it was a little bit ab- more abstract than what I preferred. So <laughs> Nothing, nothing right. against it. It right. just, uh, it didn't suit me as far as capturing some of that detail that I pick up on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you write poetry too, you definitely have to be pretty yes. attuned to details. Uh, no, I, I would agree with anyway. you. <laughs> this is a podcast, so we can't put any <laughs> images of paintings up. I should have asked you this earlier, but do you happen to have any poems on hand that you could read? You know, as I was doing this at the same, as I was preparing the manuscript at the same time, I would had really gotten into 
genealogy and in particular researching my dad's side of the family, which nobody had ever done. And uh-huh. uh, the more I got into that and, and writing the book and considering the various aspects of the history, the, the common theme running through all of it was the fact that that herding tradition that we have here today traces itself by and large back over to the British Isles and, and the Celtic tribes over there uh, years ago. And, and of course, uh, coming out of both Scotland and Ireland and Northern England. And uh, so that's kind of the idea behind the title Celtic Cow Hunter is that uh, old ways from over there were picked up and brought over here to America as they immigrated over and ended up kind of funneling their way down and combining with the Spanish cattle that were here, uh, which there's actually was Celtic tribes in Northern Spain too. So it all just kind of fit together and made sense. And uh, so uh-huh. The book opens with a little bit of the, the history of cattle ranching in Florida and then kind of moves over into my family history and, and using that as a more concrete example to, uh-huh. to further provide details or flesh it out. And then I kind of weave the poetry in and out and also some different stories that my grandfather told or that my great-grandfather told about their experiences back when Florida was, you know, freshly uh, achieved its statehood and things were still kind of wild and woolly, so to speak. Once you start getting in there and really researching some of those details, uh, it really opens your eyes how important the past is to your present and the reasons that... Uh you do some of the things you do today or the reasons you hold some of the beliefs you hold. All right. Awesome. Um, The title of this poem is those old cow pens. And uh, this is one I wrote after I was sitting around reflecting on the, uh, the lumber and and the boards and all the different things that comprise our our cow pens and and what they've seen over the years. So um, with that, I'll take off with it. Those old old cow pens, silhouetted all alone or maybe shrouded by some trees, like the Royal Guard at Buckingham, they stand stalwart as you please. Just some poles and lumber to passersby on the busy highway with a rough and worn appearance of weather-beaten brown and gray. Their history shaped by work they've seen, plus sunlight, rain, and winds. Yes, sir, there's more than meets the eye within those old cow pens. They've seen it all, my friend, from soggy summers when hurricanes blew, to hard-packed ground and clouds of dust when droughts have shown up too. Colts have been started there, and loops from lariats have been thrown, while in between all that, Old man winter's bitter wind has blown. Sweat and blood have been shed there by both livestock and men. Indeed, cattle and seasons have changed alongside those old cow pens. It's more than just a place to work some cattle that were gathered. It's also a place where family, friends, and cow hands meet and chatter. 
Some feed's been poured to troughs there and read whiskey into Dixie cups. Fireside breakfasts have been had there while the morning sun erupts. And boy, it sure looks pretty, reminding you to say amen as you're watching the breaking of the day around those old cow pens. They might hold weaned heifers with fresh brands burned on their hides, where kids saw their first heifer marked and it filled them up with pride. They share a family story there on those seasoned cypress boards through brands and names outlined, inscribed by knife and underscored. A herding legacy passed on thanks to their ancestral sage cowmen whose wisdom was handed down while kids grew up inside those old cow pens. During times when they sit empty, overgrown with weeds and silence, ain't much better place to go so as to clear your head and gain some sense. Within their warm embrace, they've seen homework done and Bibles read. They've heard prayers whispered, laughter shared, and seen many a tear be shed. More than wood, they're like a sacred hall to be visited again and again. No riches will buy the memories that abide within those old cow pens. Very nice. I, I, I really like that poem. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Um, and I definitely resonate with that feeling of an item containing the whole, it's all of the past and the present. So you could look at, you know, a piece of wood and um, it's sort of the way that it looks now, sort of old and worn down and wrinkled and twisted represents all the things that have happened around it. So, um, yeah, I've, I've thought similar things. I appreciate I that. It's a beautiful Thank poem. you. <laughs> and I like how rhythmic it is. And you weren't afraid to rhyme. I interview a lot of contemporary poets on this show, and they sometimes, you forget what it's like to listen to a nice poem with a beat with rhythm and that doesn't try to sort of obscure itself and crazy language and metaphors, but just yeah. tells a good yeah, story. That's, that's one of the <laughs> things that still rings true with most any of the cowboy poetry is it's still kind of the classic type format and as well as focused on uh-huh. classic and tradition, traditional values and, and themes. It's uh, uh-huh. I guess it's uh, what I'm most familiar with. Also, the particular cadence to it, uh, one of my big influences as I moved further along as a fellow by the name of Red Steak, and uh, I really like his work uh-huh. and, and the way the way his words flow and, and whether it be on paper when you're reading it or whether you hear it uh, read somewhere. Since... This is a podcast, and, and we can't flash up images. Uh, <laughs> if, right, I can put one in the. Um, I can put one in the okay. picture. Okay, well, I was going to say I've, I've got a website like where they could look at them there if they want to, and uh, so I can give yeah. you that. And it's uh, cowhuntersunlimited.com. So thanks so much for listening to the Gen Z podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the links in the description. We have links to all of Brad's social media, as well as links to his book, Celtic Cowboy, which you can buy on Amazon for fairly inexpensive and learn all about the fantastic world of ranching and ranching history as seen through Brad's 
artistic perspective. So thanks again for listening. My name is Stephanie Minova, and I'll see you on the next episode.